Welcome to Planet Geo, the podcast where we talk about our amazing planet, how it works, and why it matters to you. All right, let's do some introductions, Chris. You are Chris Bullheis, high school science teacher extraordinaire in the great state of Michigan. I am Jesse Ramick, geoscience professor at Penn State and your former student. And this is Planet Geo, a podcast where we talk about some amazing aspects of our planet and why they matter. All right. Hey, Jesse, how we doing today? Yeah, man, we're doing all right. We're doing all right. How about all you, Chris? Right. Doing all right. Hey, so uh, let's go ahead and get this thing rolling. Today's topic is about plate tectonics. Oh, yeah. And I wanted to ask you, what's getting you fired up right now? Yeah, you know, um, uh, I've been pretty excited about uh, future courses I'm going to teach. A colleague suggested to me that I should offer a class on the early history of the Earth and the early history of our solar system. So that's kind of what I've been thinking about uh, quite a bit this week, and uh, I'm pretty excited about it. What about you? What's got you pumped up this week? Well, yeah, this week has been a big week with the the whole coronavirus thing going on. Um, I take 26 high school seniors out west on a three-week geology field course. So I'm trying to figure out how to get this to go. Right. um, Yet within this. And I want to, you know, we're trying to figure out how to do this smart and safe. Uh, But it's important. I don't want these students... Uh, because if they miss this opportunity, then they miss the opportunity. It's it's gone. Yeah, yeah. And I and don't it, want this to go by without having them, you know, have the opportunity for that exposure. Oh, that's great. That's such an amazing experience. Most people from Michigan, you know, never seen the mountains until that point in time. Right. Anyway, th- this episode, we're, we're dedicating this to, to plate tectonics. Uh, we're going to talk about what is a tectonic plate. And I think it's important, though, you know, why are we doing this right away? Um Plate tectonics lays the foundation for really everything that happens in geology. And so, but before that, there was this idea of continental drift. And that, that was, you know, about a, roughly a hundred years ago, yeah. hundred, you know, 1912 ish. So over a hundred years ago, this idea that was really groundbreaking of continental drift, the idea that the continents are moving about, um, came into being from this this uh, a guy that i have a lot of respect for alfred wegener i i, um, I mean the, the early the early geoscientists were they're just impressive people just creative thinkers you know thinking outside the box to me the inter- one of the interesting things about wegener is that this he was not a geologist he was into you know <laughs> climatology and and studying things like this and so but one day he was staring at a map and he looked at the map and and recognized right away that the I mean if you look at the shape of the east coast of North America and South America, and then you look at the shape of the west coast of Northern Europe and Africa, and you have this classic S shape. Yeah, <laughs> Wegener looked at that and said, "Wow, they look like they fit together like a jigsaw puzzle." And that's how it kind of all began. Yeah, it's I mean it's such a cool like. First order observation. It started with that idea, but then if you put them together, he actually, Wegener had a, a team of people working for him. The evidence that they came up with is just amazing. Yeah, so let's let's go through a couple of those. Yeah, hit me with it. Yeah, so, you know, you look at the eastern part of the United States, the, the Appalachian Mountains, okay? Well, the Appalachian Mountains are, are the same as the mountains that you see in Northern Europe. They're the, they're the same rocks, the same fossils, the same structures. They're the same 
mountain range. He looked at that and recognized that, you know, those mountains, they formed when Pangaea came together. When that supercontinent, you had this continent-to-continent collision, and it formed those mountains. When Pangaea broke apart, that's what we see today. And they're separated by thousands of miles of ocean right now. They broke the apart, ocean. In, in, which formed the Atlantic Ocean, right? So, so these right. things just match up. I mean, it's a jigsaw puzzle. They match up perfectly. Everything that they said was correct. The continents were moving. So things were moving. So it led. Right? So it led to this idea of continental drift, which which is a nice idea, right? That these plates used to be together and it used to form this one big supercontinent. Okay. Oh, oh, looking back, it all fits, you know, beautifully, and we uh, we we have an, a way to explain it now. But back then, this was not a well accepted idea, right? This was no. there weren't many geoscientists back then, so you know maybe he pissed off like two or three people in the world, but <laughs> but but it was not popular, right? Um, and so so no, this was not accepted, and the reason was that. He didn't have yeah. a process. There was no really good way to explain why did the continents move around, right? Yeah, that's exactly what happened. They're like, well, wait a minute. So the, if the continents moved, how did they move? It, bottom line is it, it came down to the crust plowing through the mantle. Right. And it was quickly proved by physicists as being, this is not possible. This didn't happen. And so the whole idea was rejected. There's also a couple other, you know, potentially uh, a little bit more ridiculous ideas that, that were used to explain this, like an expanding earth. You know, the earth used to be really tiny and then it just kind of started growing. And, and if, you know, you can imagine like blowing up a balloon, if you draw some face on a balloon and then you blow a, a, like a, a deflated balloon, then you blow up the balloon, the face gets big and ridiculous, right? The same could be said for Pangaea. You blow up the earth and Pangaea breaks apart into all these different continents. Uh, looking back, it's a bit silly. This also led to the idea to the perception that continental drift was linked to some of the more ridiculous processes that it was uh, assigned to, and then therefore continental drift was ridiculous, right? Which isn't the case. No. Um, so you got to have a good process. You got to have a good hook to to explain, you know, what you're observing um, in, in the geosciences. Yeah, but but let's think. Let's look at that a second, Jess. Like he he didn't. You know, three quarters of the Earth is ocean. And, and, and Alfred, we had no idea what the ocean was like. We thought the ocean was deep, which it is. We thought it was flat. We thought it was featureless. Um, and it's anything but that. And, and so, you know, think about, he came up with everything that he came up with, which was spot on, but without the knowledge of over three quarters of the earth, right. which uh, to me is just absolutely amazing. Here's what Wegener knew. Wegener knew that there was a difference between the crust and the mantle below us. Which is a really a compositional difference. We're sitting on continental mm -hmm. crust, there's oceanic crust, and it sits on top of the mantle, which is the this sort of, you know, the bulk of the the earth is is this yeah. mantle. The crust is the right? skin of the apple. Oh, totally. This is it's where all the action happens, in my opinion. But right. the, you know, there's a lot of people out there who, who kind of love, you know, studying the mantle and all the details about the mantle. I feel I feel kind of bad for for Alfred Wegener. He died uh in Greenland in I think nineteen thirty. And he died, I think, unhappy, you know, because this was his, this was a lot of his work and uh, it was soundly rejected yeah. <laughs> and it kind of went to bed. Now, looking back, we understand he was, you know, his observation was spot on and, and we, and we, we have all these new ideas that, that really led to the main revolution in the geosciences, which was understanding that continents do drift around and the driving force is plate tectonics, which is the process yes. that governs why you know, the continents are, are why plates are moving around on earth. So let's, let's give a brief little, you know, what is a tectonic plate? How do we kind of define that? Yeah. You know, 
Okay, we talked about the crust and the mantle. Wegener knew about this 110 years ago. The compositional difference and the thickness difference, you know, oceanic crust is much, much thinner, but it's denser, and that's a critical thing to plate tectonics. The continental crust is much thicker, on the order of 70 kilometers thick, and but it's it's less dense, which is a crucial thing in terms of plate tectonics that we'll get into later also. But the lithosphere is the cold and crunchy part of it's the crust and the upper mantle. The lithosphere is about a hundred kilometers thick. And, and it's, here's the way I think of it. It's brittle. It's cold and it's crunchy. Okay. That's what a plate is. So when we talk about crust and mantle, we're talking about really a compositional difference. These are, you know, this is the, the, the eggshell on top of the egg. Uh, but when we're talking about a tectonic plate, we're talking about a, a, a really a behavioral difference where the the lithosphere, yes. what we're calling lithosphere, this is the crust and the upper part of the mantle, the stuff that is cool enough where it behaves rigidly. This stuff will break. If you bend it, it's going to break, right? That's really kind of what we're yep. talking about with with rigidity. Yeah, it's such a good point to bring up because the the um – you know, the crust and the mantle, what, what Wegener knew about, that was a compositional difference that brought that change right. about, okay? The lithosphere spans that compositional difference. So we can throw that aside. Right. We can get rid of crust and mantle right now, and we can just say, all right, the, pot, the part of the earth that behaves in a cold, crunchy right. way. That's what a that's plate right. is, and that's called a lithospheric cold, plate. cold and crunchy. I love it. I mean, it's you know, it's something that's yep. it's a little bit cool. If it's like plastic, right? You cool it down, it's going to break really easily. Like, right? you, you, if you live in a place where you get a little bit of winter, plastic, it gets cold, it breaks. If you're sitting in North America, you're moving in the same direction as the crust which you're sitting on, which is like 60, 70 kilometers thick, something like that. Some places 30 kilometers. Okay. There's variability. And then you're sitting on top of another 50 kilometers or so of, of mantle, which is a different composition, but it is also behaving like this cold plastic. If you bend it, it will break. That is your tectonic plate. And what you're sitting on top of is mantle, same composition, but it's a little bit hotter. So this stuff is like when you heat up plastic, it'll flow. It's not going to, if you bend it, it will not break. If you bend it, it will just kind of flow and deform. So the asthenosphere, uh, which by the way, is my favorite layer of the earth. (laughs) I didn't know we were, I didn't know we had favorite layers. This sounds like a stupid question. Like, Hey, Mr. Bullheis, what's the favorite layer of the earth? Well, you know what? And also that's like the most boring answer possible. Like, I mean, come on, but your most favorite layer of the earth is the asthenosphere. Okay. Just cause what it's the biggest or something. Come on. Why is it? Because you know what? The asthenosphere makes plate tectonics happen. And if we didn't have the asthenosphere, we wouldn't have plate tectonics. If we didn't have plate tectonics, we wouldn't have the mountains and we wouldn't have the valleys and everything in between. So because we have plate tectonics, we have the awesome planet we have flat yep. out. So the asthenosphere is my favorite layer of the earth. And to me, Jess, you got to give me credit. That makes uh, sense. I mean, all right. I'll, I'll, I'll throw you a little bit of a bone. I mean, I I, I like it for the most <laughs> part. I think there's some more yeah. interesting uh, interesting layers of the earth. But Wrong. Import, Im- okay, important yeah. does not equal favorite for me. But uh, I, I see, I oh see your point. Gosh. Plate tectonics was the unifying theory. Um, it really didn't come about until the 1960s. And um, it's interesting how war um sp- kind of brings on new technology. Absolutely. And, and so during World War II, um, we had developed, I don't know, prior to World War II, obviously, but uh, it was used widely, though, as sonar. 
And so during World War II, there, you know, Harry Hess, he was in command of a ship. As he was, you know, steering his ship from one destination to another, he would turn his sonar down because oh, he was right? a geologist. He was a curious guy. And, and so he started making maps of the ocean floor. And we found out that, you know, the abyssal plane, that's what the ocean floor is called. Abyss is deep and plane is flat, right? Well, we found out that it's, yeah, it's deep, but the, the ocean floor is not flat and featureless. Wagner had no idea of that. That led to the discovery of the of these mid-ocean ridges and so on. And, you know, I, I talked about earlier when we first began the S shape of the east coast of the U.S. and the S shape of the west coast of the U.S. Well, you know what we found? is we found an S-shape ridge in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. Oh, man. It's, that's crazy. It's crazy. But it takes generations, right? I mean, it takes technological development. It takes exploration. It takes that kind of stuff. And it takes a long time to really piece together the, the fundamental ways that the Earth operates. But, you right. know, like you said, we find these mid-ocean ridges. And then as we started to be able to detect, you know, this magnetism in rocks. And, Let's get into that just yeah. a little bit. It's the smoking gun of plate tectonics. Right. Paleo is ancient, old. Magnetism is <laughs> the magnetic record in, in iron-bearing minerals, okay? Well, here's what happens. When, when lava, which comes out on the ocean floor, in geology we call it mafic, which means it's loaded with iron and magnesium. And so these iron and magnesium-rich minerals, uh, these minerals begin to grow, and they're in this soup of magma. Right. So that means they're free to align like a compass needle, a compass needle in order for it to work. It has to be free to move. Right. Well, because these, these iron rich minerals are in this soup, they're free to move. They're in a liquid. They, they point like compass needles because every compass is a North and a South pole. They point like compass needles, uh, to according to where the North and the South poles are at that point, the magnetic North and South pole, but earth's magnetic field reverses it flips where our magnetic North Pole becomes the magnetic South Pole and, and vice versa. So what do we see when we go to a mid-ocean ridge and drive perpendicular to, uh, away from it? We see these magnetic reversals. And then, so then when you go to back to that mid-ocean ridge and, and drive the other way, perpendicular to it, right? Uh, you see the exact same pattern. They're mirror images on either side of it because the magnetic record is preserved when that lava erupts out and cools below the Curie point. That's right. And then gets magnetized and locked in time because now it's cemented in rock, right? And that, but as that's going on, it's getting shoved aside by this, this, this plate tectonic movement, this convection below the lithospheric plate. Mm -hmm. And, and so then if a magnetic reversal happens, now the, all of the North Poles are, uh, are pointing the other direction. I mean, and, and it, it's such a cool thing because these, you know, the, the, the time when the magnetic field flips, it can vary and et cetera. And the, and the eruption rate can vary at all these different mid ocean ridges. But what you, so you, what you get is this kind of variable thickness of these little stripes, right? And it, creates this basically barcode of earth history. So, so that's like, you know, the, the smoking gun of, of plate tectonics, which in the 1960s really became the paradigm that governs the geosciences is that we have these tectonic plates that are moving around on earth's surface. And the point is, is that if you're sitting there at home, listening to us on your continent, you're sitting on a continent, you're moving right now. You're moving at a, at a very slow rate. I mean, we're talking like centimeters per year. So 
you can't. Yeah, it's comparable to the rate that your fingernail grows. That's the common analogy out there. That's, I mean, super slow, right? You won't notice it. But if you're sitting, you know, somewhere in North America, anywhere in North America, you're for the most part moving in the same direction as everybody else in North America at relatively the same rate. But we're moving in a different way than people sitting in Europe or people sitting in Hawaii or people sitting, you know, in Australia. We're moving away from each other and closer to each other. So let's kind of like summarize this. I mean, the take-up yeah. points of, of plate tectonics, you know, a tectonic plate is this cold part, this the crust in the upper part of the mantle beneath us. That's the, the stuff that if you bend it, it will break. It's behaving like a rigid thing. It's behaving like cold plastic. That's a tectonic plate. And because yeah. it's behaving... If you, because if you bend it, it will break. If you kind of stress this stuff enough, it's going to break and it's going to break along the edges. So we have these little blocks, these plates that are moving around. What are they moving on? They're moving above this asthenosphere, which is the plastic part or the hot plastic part where if you bend it, it will flow. So it's moving, it's kind of sliding around on top of stuff. They're interacting in really interesting ways. In some ways, convection or the, this sort of plastic flow is driving the plates to move in different directions. In some places, if you get a plate diving down into the mantle, it'll pull other stuff along with it. So so you kind mm-hmm. of get these different driving forces that are that are moving the plates around at different points in time. And, and, th- and that's a really complicated question that we don't really understand it is if you pick any single tectonic plate boundary you know the san andreas fault that's a tectonic plate boundary the subduction zone you know uh, that's creating the andes that's a tectonic plate boundary we kind of know we know that it's there we know which direction things are moving in we still don't really have a great understanding of what the processes are that are driving those behaviors we don't really understand how a tectonic plate can break you have to break a rock from zero kilometers from at the surface all the way down to like 200 kilometers deep and you have to break it all in one spot we don't we can't model that no you can't really we don't really understand how that happens so it's an astonishing thing right but it happens all over the place we can see the the repercussions we can see it actively happening but that's what a tectonic plate is right is we have i don't know how many there's probably what i don't know the number dozens I'm guessing 30 I, or something. Well, it plates. depends you know on where many? you divide the line. I mean, we have, we have like, you know, nine or 10 major plates and then several smaller plates, you know, don't forget about Wanda Fuca. I love Wanda <laughs> yeah, Fuca. The last little, the that's little bit favorite. that's just hanging out still there. It's, it's about yeah, to go down. It is. But, but I, I do want to jump on something real quick, Jess. Yeah. Like, I think, I think what you said is, is true that I, I, this has got to be the next major thing coming out of geology is a firmer understanding of the interior of the earth. Right. You know, we, we know a lot and, and we really learned a lot in the 19, late 1950s and 1960s with the testing of nuclear bomb. So we were able to strategically place seismographs and, and we're able to measure, you know, the way that seismic waves are traveling through the earth because we knew exactly when we knew exactly where these detonations were going to take place. So we really honed in on the interior structure of the earth. But before I retire, there's going to be just this explosion of knowledge coming out about the way that convection happens in the asthenosphere. And I, I just think it's the next big thing. So why does this matter? Why, like, why are we leading? Okay. Why, why are we you know, talking about this in okay. what, the second episode? That's easy for me. Okay. Uh, this is the easiest question on the planet for me. I had a professor who was so gifted, and he would, but he was one of those rare treats you get in college where this guy, he could just flat out teach. Yeah. 
And he he began his intro into plate tectonics talking about an earthquake that he had been in Alaska in 1964. And this was a major, it's a famous earthquake, and he was in it. He was studying glaciers. And his description of the violence of what happened and the horror of it all, my reaction was, are you kidding me? Like, um, that's, that is so cool. I know you were scared, but man, do I want to feel that, right? Like, what kind of power is that? That's what I was thinking. I mean, it's so cool. Like, what well, you know, what a what a powerful thing to to have a you know a teacher uh, who can who can hook you in that way um, and really define your life in that sense. But uh, I mean, it's it's also about the the subject matter, right? It's also about this is important, and and it you know plate tectonics and and why why should your everyday person care about what the hell a tectonic plate is? Well, it's because it defines how our Earth operates, right? It defines where volcanoes occur where earthquakes occur, all these really important phenomena that matter for a lot of people's everyday lives um, are fundamentally there because plate tectonics operates on earth. Um, so, I mean, it's a beautiful story. Have you ever been in an earthquake? Uh, yeah, it was. Um, <laughs> I'm embarrassed, though. Uh, I was <laughs> well, in an earthquake I mean, you California. should be more embarrassed than you are. But, uh, I know, universally, I'm embarrassed but. <laughs> often, but that's okay. I, I gave up on pride a long time ago. Uh, <laughs> um but I was in a, a smaller earthquake. I was in California, and it was maybe a, a five. Um, I, you know, to be honest with you, I thought it was the rumbling of a truck passing by. And uh, then I, I found out later that it was an earthquake. And can you imagine my disappointment? I'm like, <laughs> what kind of geologist are you? You are pathetic. You are the worst. All right. So... That yeah, you just um, couldn't even experience it in the moment, right? You could you couldn't be oh, like, no, oh, wow, that was an earthquake, how cool, right? You were yeah. like, ah, some stupid truck driving by. So you know my wife, yeah. right? And you know that that was relentless shit after that for what kind <laughs> of, of geologist I am. Of for not even it's amazing that you can make a living being a geoscientist if you can't know, even identify it's, it's an pathetic. earthquake. <laughs> yeah, it is. It really is. The other thing is too is that you know plate tectonics. It makes sense of everything that I love about this planet. Yeah. You know, you know, because this planet without plate tectonics, what would it look like eventually? Give it time, right? Without tectonics, you have no force that lifts things up. You only have the force that wears things down. Right. And so given enough time, this planet would be really flat and featureless uh, because then you just have weather and erosion and gravity. Yeah. And uh, I don't care to live here. On that planet, it'd be it'd be right? it'd be a tough it's life. Not my thing. It'd be a tough life if there was yeah, no plate tectonics here. That's like, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's right. That's right. right. So let me ask you. Yeah. Okay. What does plate tectonics mean to you? I think for me, you were that teacher who kind of conveyed this this sort of really beautiful picture of of the value of the earth sciences um, and the interesting aspects. But another added part of it was when what drives me a lot today in my research is that. Plate tectonics, it operates today. We can observe it. We can we can watch these plates move. You know, we can put GPS instruments on them and watch them move at a couple centimeters per year. We really do not understand when plate tectonics began on Earth. Um, so you can have many different what are called tectonic modes or, or ways that a planet operates um, in a tectonic sense. And, and Earth operates with this plate tectonics. There are plates that move around and interact with each other. We don't know when that started. Uh, there's people you know, very, very good, very high quality scientists out there 
geoscientists who argue that, you know, it only began about, you know, 800 million years ago or so. Um, there are people who would argue that as soon as the earth was formed 4.5 something billion years ago, plate tectonics started. The fact of the matter is, is that we do not understand when plate tectonics began on earth history. Was earth a teenager when plate tectonics began? Was it a young adult? I mean, was it an 80 year old? You know, we don't really know, uh, when plate tectonics Mm -hmm. began on earth and plate tectonics governs. So, yeah. This is the problem you're trying to solve with your research, right. correct? It's it's absolutely the probably the driving force because it matters for the history of our planet. It matters for how we perceive other planets in our solar system and in other solar systems as we begin to discover more and more of them. It also matters for the history of our planet. It matters for mm-hmm. um, recycling of water back into the mantle. It could be the reason why yeah. we have oceans on Earth. Um, <laughs> All the resources that we have to all the resources it drives gold deposits, you know, plate tectonics is fundamental and it is why the earth looks the way it is um, and why earth (laughs) is unique and why actually there's life on earth. So I think, you know, a good exercise that we should we should go through here is is why, you know, what would what would earth look like without plate tectonics? And I think we have some pretty good examples of that when we look around the solar system. You know, I teach astronomy high school astronomy and you know the biggest known volcano in the solar system is not on earth and you'd think well that doesn't make sense you know we have this this active tectonic you know planet why would why would uh earth not have that's right i mean tectonics creates mountains on earth so like you would expect it does it would create it wouldn't create mountains if you didn't have plate tectonics right but that's not the case right but Mars has a an enormous like it. Mars has several volcanoes that dwarf anything on Earth, but the biggest one that we know of is Olympus. is called Olympus Mons. It's twenty two kilometers tall. Now this dwarfs anything on a on an Earth scale. That's from like the bottom of the mountain to the top of of the mountain. Yeah, you know, it's is... twenty two kilometers, which is thirteen point six miles tall. That's uh, amazing. Now for scale. Mount Everest is just under six miles above sea level to the top of it. Yeah. Okay. Now that's not necessarily the height of the mountain itself, but that's the tallest point on earth, right? Six miles. This volcano is 13.6 miles tall. Now you think, all right, well, why? Mars doesn't have plate tectonics, which means the lithospheric plates don't move on Mars. There's just one plate. And so if they have a hot spot, which we'll talk about later on, but this, this this source of magma coming up, right? Imagine this, right? You have this source of magma coming up, but the plates don't move. So what you get then is just this center of volcanism, but the plate never moves. So the volcano just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger over time, right? That's right. On Earth, does, that doesn't happen. You know, you think of Hawaii. Hawaii is a hotspot. Almost everybody knows Hawaii is a hotspot. Mm-hmm. But as that source of magma comes up, and, and you get these eruptive centers, like for right now, the eruptive center is on the big island of Hawaii, Kilauea, you know, yep. the, the most active volcano on the planet. Uh, but the plate continues to move over top of this hotspot, of this source of magma. And so the volcanoes get to a certain height, and then they have moved past the hotspot, and then a new eruptive center shows up. Right. I mean, it's, it's really one of the coolest thing. I mean, Google earth is so cool, right. To just play around with. If you are, if you're listening to this and you're like having trouble picturing this, 
go to Google Earth, look at Hawaii, and look at like the Hawaii Emperor Seamount chain. Oh. I mean, and this is what we're talking about. It's it's basically a single point eruption that creates this chain of islands, which are now under, you know, we used to be islands, which are now have been eroded down to just below sea level. But it's this volcanic eruption that because the plate has been moving over it, all that magma has been carried away. All that lava has been carried away from the source. And so on Mars, we don't get that. On Mars, all that magma is just piled up on top of each other. So it creates this Olympus yeah. Mons volcano, which is massive. Yeah. I mean, it's it's just a giant. So the only reason that Hawaii is not, you know, five times the size <laughs> of Everest or whatever, whatever it is, three times the size of Everest is because of plate tectonics. I mean, right. it's so cool. What a cool comparison. It's amazing, right? Yeah. So I want to say this. I want to say this, that, you know, in geology, we can simplify things down to, you know, we, we can make it really simple, right? There are two forces in geology, forces that lift things up and forces that wear things down. The force that lifts things up is called plate tectonics. The force that wears things down is called weather and erosion. Plate tectonics makes this planet awesome. Yeah. Flat out. There's no... There's no denying it. So, yes. I mean, we were talking about hotspots, and, and this is a really nice lead into what we're going to talk about next, which is a, a, one of our, I would say, well, one of mine, certainly, and I think one of yours, favorite hotspot locations to go visit, um, which is Yellowstone National Park. So that's all for this week. As usual, thank you for joining us and stay tuned for our next episode coming up in two weeks where we'll talk about Yellowstone National Park. Uh, again, we are really excited about this project and as always, we're looking for your feedback and input. So please leave us any questions, topic ideas, or comments uh, on any of our social medias. We are at Planet Geocast and our email account is planetgeocast at gmail.com. Again, we'd love it if you'd like to subscribe to this podcast and we'll chat with you soon. Mm-hmm.